you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com the Around the NFL Podcast. Making their mamas proud at the Pink Pony Club. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis coming to you from a virtual room filled with heroes Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Oh, and he's back. The great Patrick Claibon. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan, I, I don't know if I've earned the, the qualifier great, but it's, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I, can, I can confirm that. That was a great money intro right there. Did he say mommies? Or either way, mommies or mamas coming out of his mouth. Just, it was funny. <laughs> uh, Patrick, good to see you. I, as I uh, expected, the quarantine is treating you well. The the pandemic, you're, you look like you're beach ready right now, sitting on the floor with your arms crossed over your knees, all calm, cool, and collected, and absolutely beautiful as always. So uh, congratulations on being Patrick Claibon once again. Well, I am just basking in the glow <laughs> of all of you gentlemen uh, today. You know, I'm, I'm huddled on the floor of my baby girl's room. Uh, the chair that I was sitting in actually fell apart subsequently <laughs> before the microphone that I was going to use fell apart. So Are you poor? To- <laughs> Very, Dan. <laughs> Extraordinarily. <laughs> it's not working out. But hey, uh, we get to spend time together. It's Still got your electricity, though. Yeah, the lights are on. The lights are on. <laughs> All right. So uh, great to have Claybon back with us on a very busy show. Uh, we are going to dig in on the mess down there in Houston with the Texans after the surprise firing of Bill O'Brien. And we're having a friend of the show. Uh, down there in Houston, Seth Payne. He's going to join us to talk about what happens next in Houston. And and I was perusing Seth's Twitter account. He is pretty fired up about what direction they should go and mm. and the belief that they should not be done with their firings at Bill O'Brien. But we'll get to all that. Also, Thursday night football preview uh, to come uh, in the game between who, Mark? It will be a game between the Bears very exciting. And the Bucks, one of many primetime games for the Bucks. Nice. I, I always I love barely, when you drop like the pop quiz that. question on me. Like it's uh, <laughs> it's a great way to, you know, build rapport with me. <laughs> Assuming I get the question right. Mark's here for Thursday, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll check in on what's going on right now in the league uh, in this uncertainty around COVID-19 and the teams affected. But before we do that, Let's start with two games played on Monday night, starting with the rescheduled COVID-19 postponement between the Chiefs and the Patriots. Fires it to Edelman who drops. It's intercepted off of Edelman and picked by the Honey Badger. Pick six. Tyron Matthew picked six. Julian Edelman last year led the National Football League in drops. He's such a great receiver, but he lost concentration and the ball off his left arm right to the waiting honey badger who eats the snake and runs all the way to the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City with a pick six. <laughs> What's he so much Mitch wildlife Holtis. all the time. Mitch Holt is WDAF. couple things there. He went, he went for Edelman's throat there. Uh, bringing up that he has issues with drops live in real time during the, the pick six return. 
Uh, and then he ate the snake. Is that what it was? That's what a score is? I don't know, but I loved it. Mitch with the call. The Kansas City Chiefs are 4-0 for the fourth consecutive season. That doesn't even seem possible. Mm. But it's true. After a 26-10 win over the Patriots at Arrowhead, a game that was 6-3 at halftime. The Chiefs, you know, powerhouse that they are, didn't score their first touchdown until late in the third quarter. The Patriots hung around, but suspect quarter play, quarterback play from Brian Hoyer um, helped undermine them in this game. Greg, you... Uh, Let's start with the Pats uh, here. You're, you're, Cam Newton misses this game, obviously, after testing positive for coronavirus. And uh, Hoyer was, for me, a surprise start. I was actually, I had my head down cranking out power rankings. I just assumed Jared Stidham was the backup because that was the thing Hasn't we were been all year. Cam. Mm-hmm. And apparently it turns out that Hoyer was the guy. But I don't think Hoyer is the backup anymore. No, I don't think so. And Bill Belichick on Tuesday would not reveal who would start on Sunday against the Broncos, which is usually a sign that they'll they'll go with the guy who came in like Stidham, unless Cam is available, which, which is possible. Why play Brian Hoyer? Because he, there's two type of backup quarterbacks that I think you kind of w- would want. One is like the ultra-aggressive, just I don't care what's going to happen, DJAF, Ryan Fitzpatrick type when he was the backup, and like, or even Jeff Driscoll, like whatever. They're just going to go for it. The other that you would like is just like an athletic guy that gives you some uh, sort of advantage. Brian Hoyer is neither. He's in theory like a veteran good decision maker who very often in his career um, looks like the moment's too big for him, to use one of your terms. And I hate sort of going so non, you know, technical but when you sail your first two passes uh on key third downs in the first two drives by like 10 yards like that looks like nerves then you throw an interception you take a terrible uh sack at the end of the first half uh and then you get benched for another big mistake in the third quarter he he prevented them from potentially winning this game because um mark you you said this was one of your favorite patriots games or maybe your favorite of all time and i wasn't sure why you said that but i i was happy you were on the same train as me which is like this was a vintage bill belichick defensive performance which if you like ugly football or defensive football was kind of fun uh for me to watch and apparently you too greg you know how it goes by now with mark sometimes he just likes to move the needle you know, no, when he gets you know, on that social account. No, no, you know what? Because that's a very cynical um, take on that. Because I honestly, this was the thing. I don't think this game should have even been played. I get you have to, and you have to force it all along with Corona. But the idea that one team has to go out there against the Kansas City Chiefs, of all teams in the league, with your starter out of the picture, you don't have a capable backup. The right half of your line is missing. They have Kirk Ferentz's son playing center. Bill Belichick's, like, best friend from Iowa. I mean, the stuff that was stacked against New England last night and the idea that he still found a way to beguile Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the one thing that I could not get out of my mind was the million shots to Patrick Mahomes on the sideline during that first half where he's just sort of, like, hands over his heads waiting to get on the field because... They were just making it tough on the Chiefs. And the thing with Brian Hoyer at the end of that half, when he took that sack, Mm. and you just saw Belichick explode, and and Josh McDaniels was furious. It's like, we're not asking you to save the planet Earth. Okay, Brian Hoyer, we know you can't do that. But you can't have... He's showing a complete lack of veteran presence. And to Greg's point, you would think that Brian Hoyer, who spent like seven years with the Patriots over his career would pick up a few tips along the way on how to handle the final minute of a game where you're still in it against all odds. Unbelievable performance by Brian Hoyer. And then Stidham, I love his live arm, but the guy is throwing picks all over the place too. Well, it one of them was a off a drop. The, fir- the first pick was, on, uh, was bad by Stidham. Was the other was just a drop by it, ju- it unearthed one of the potentially great coaching jobs. It, it was a great coaching job, but it was completely unspooled by his hideous quarterbacks. Hey, welcome to how the other half lives, Patriots fans. Sometimes your quarterbacks just suck, and it ruins everything. Was, was it really an unbelievable performance from Brian Hoyer? This is the Brian Hoyer that we've been watching, right? It's a little you, on them, too. Yeah, that's fair. If, if you, yeah. you, know, if you uh, search your Twitter name and at Hoyer and just scroll through your reactions, anybody can do this. 
uh, through the years. <laughs> Fun game. We're reacting to this game that he had last night over and over again for multiple franchises, for the Browns, for the Texans, and now for the Patriots. This is Brian. It's not the moment being too big for Brian Hoyer. I'm well, sure he's, he's got to be good in practice, Claybon, because no, I, I can't explain a, anything else. Why no, does he probably, keep getting these chances? He, he's a really nice guy. Um, he knows the playbook, I guess. Um, but he's not a good football player, and that's fine. Like, it's okay. You don't have to be good at football, I guess, to be a good person. But there's there's definitely better people at playing quarterback than Brian it, Hoyer it on wasn't the planet the, it Earth. Wasn't, Patrick's right. It wasn't that this moment was too big for Brian Hoyer. They all are. Every moment is too big for Brian Hoyer, not to pile on the guy. Uh, but, yeah, that did – and it did – as someone who enjoys – a little bit of uh, rain falling down on the throne of ease. It also was a reminder, like, if things don't break a little differently for the Patriots this offseason and there isn't a team that aggressively targets Cam Newton, this would have been their reality. This would have been their it. They would have been just living and dying every week hoping to get um, basic quarterback play. Mm. So good he for them. practice for all week, the but move. yeah, it, uh, it's bad. And they had to travel the day of the game, but you're right. Uh, but just imagine how vulnerable they would they would have been if another team jumped in and said, "Whoa, we're going to uh, the Chicago Bears go after Cam I just Cam wish Newton. they started Stidham. They brought Stidham in the fourth quarter, I think precisely because they have another game next week in which um, Cam Newton might not be available. And so they wanted to see Stidham. And why not take this opportunity to see Stidham who you've been pumping up um, and as a young player for the whole game because the defense, I, I took a lot out of this game because I was not encouraged by how this defense had played in the first three weeks. It was really built almost entirely in some way to stop Kansas City uh, and teams like Kansas City. So I guess like they, they are uniquely um, situated to slow Mahomes down. But, you know, the, the Chiefs had, what, five punts in their first six possessions. They only scored 19 points in nine possessions. They did an awesome job. Chase Winovich is for real. Like, their secondary played their best game of the year. And, and yes, if it wasn't for, um, you know, the offensive total brain farts by Hoyer, they, they had a good chance to win this game. But that defense, having that type of day, makes me think, other than missing Dante Hightower, which to me has just been one of the biggest missing pieces ever. He he I always knew how valuable he was, but they miss him so much every game. Bentley is is a pretty big negative uh for them. Uh it gives me a little hope there, Dan, that the defense, you know, come together and uh I'm, I'll take the moral victory. That's, I'm right. taking it. I'm taking it. Take it. The Chiefs took the real one. Uh <laughs> but that was not the true branded Monday night football game. That was played at Lambeau Field. Let's check in on that game. Third and three, back to pass goes Rodgers. Backpedaling, backpedaling, throws an arching pass down the middle. Wide open, the tight end. It's a touchdown at the goal line. Tanyan, his third of the night. Rodgers has thrown another TD. Rodgers, four touchdown passes tonight. And he looks down at his right hand, and he's counting them. One, two, four touchdowns by Rodgers. Kevin Harland with the call on Westwood One. We can only play this song for this game because ESPN owns the rights to this game and CBS owns the rights to the other one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a true story. Aaron Rodgers, man, playing without Devontae Adams, without Alan Lazard. It doesn't matter right now because that's where Aaron Rodgers is uh, right now in his 16th season. 27 of 33 for 327 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, pass rating of 40, 147 and a half. And yes, you heard it, Robert Tanyan. Wes's boy, six for 98 and three touches. 30 to 16, the Packers cruise over the Falcons. The Packers are 4-0. Uh, and, and the bearded boy, Matt LaFleur, has an insane winning percentage uh, through a year and a quarter. And the Falcons, Patrick Claybound, 0-4. Uh, Dan Quinn could be the next to go. And it's kind of surprising, right, that that this is – we got to this point in the season and we saw a coach that wasn't Dan Quinn uh, go before Dan Quinn, seeing as mm-hmm. he is uh, – he's kind of wearing this, this giant weighted chain of being the defensive-minded coach and having uh, just a laughable defense. They, they got to a point um, last night where – Aaron Rodgers and company could really do whatever they wanted to do. If it wasn't Bob Tanyan having three touchdowns, it could have been anybody else. Uh, Aaron Jones um, legitimately could have 
probably had a 50-point fantasy game uh, last night, but they checked it down uh, for him, able to rest up. They didn't even start Devontae Adams, who was upset last night um, or, or yesterday morning with this idea that, oh, they, they think they know my hamstring better than I do, but it's like, dude, we don't we <laughs> don't need full you. Le'Veon. <laughs> yeah, this, this, team, uh, this team and this defense particularly – uh, isn't very good, and, and the clock, I guess, is ticking. Uh, as, as nice of a guy as Dan Quinn is, uh, just you would like to have some results on that side of the football, and they just don't have any. Sessler, who's nicer, Dan Quinn or Brian Hoyer? Settle it. You know, I randomly met them at the same Super Bowl, and um, <laughs> Brian Hoyer was so nice. He had just had a baby with his wife, and we had a small child at the time, and I was like, oh, my God, he's so nice. And so, so nice. I was like, like I struggle with that because also Dan Quinn was. You so love Dan Quinn. Like, in I that love Super Dan Bowl. Quinn, and I do think that Dan Quinn is like. I don't think he's going to turn into an evil person because of this. But wait, I mean, settle he, it, settle it though. Uh, I think Dan Quinn is nicer because I didn't get enough time with oh, Brian Hoyer. What a rough Monday for Brian Hoyer. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a close second, but I mean, forget Dan Quinn. I mean, this is the game, and I'm late. To, I'm late to this because I've been rough on the Packers forever. And like in and, and even last year's Packers, I just didn't buy the whole operation. I totally do now. I realize I'm like the last person in the room. But Matt LaFleur to me proved last night that he can be one of those coaches that ups their creativity beyond what a normal coach can do. I mean, the fact that they're missing all the wide receivers that they were. And PFF came out calling it the most efficient offense of week four. The way that they're using different players left and right. It kind of reminds me of this like hideous JV game where there were all these injuries. And I, I got put at safety and we played this team from like Trumbull that had no quarterback. We found out where they're going to kill these guys. They have no quarterback. And there's their direct snapping. I love the ball. when you like seg a, into your playing days. Mark. Well, no, it's it was so like, natural. It, I still have nightmares about this. They were direct snapping the ball like midway through the first quarter. They changed it up to a, like a 220 pound person, and he's barreling through the defense. And I'm playing like deep safety because like get this guy off the field. And I <laughs> like six plays in a row. I've got this guy coming at me. And I'm just like, I want to be in my house watching like Little House on the Prairie right now. What am I doing here? So when you can beguile the defense the way that Green Bay did, I mean, I just saw so many communication breakdowns in Atlanta's totally battered secondary on that Aaron Rodgers touchdown on the first the first score. I mean, he there there was no one within 15 yards of him. I mean, it was like an embarrassing preseason looking performance by Atlanta's defense. Well, they often look like a poorly coached defense and I think one of the best tests is when you have a bunch of injuries can you still hold it together and look well coached maybe you're not going to win or, or or look great but are you going to have a total collapse and that's what's happened to the Falcons multiple times to be fair they've had an incredible amount of injuries they're, they're not just missing a couple guys they have five start every basically every starting defensive back was hurt and another other than Kendall Sheffield and then one of the primary replacements got hurt too, and DeMonte KZ got hurt during the game. So they're missing an entire secondary. But this has happened to Atlanta before. When they have injuries, suddenly it's like, that's the excuse why we're the very worst defense in the league. And it's like, no, um, other teams would hold it together and get some sort of stops and and not have all of those breakdowns. And um, the, the Packers have so many weapons. I mean, Jamal Williams has been really good this year. It's funny because everyone killed the Packers two first two picks and the second one of those was AJ Dillon the the 7000 pound running back. He can't get on the field either. He's like the Jordan Love of running backs cuz Jamal Williams is motivated just like Aaron Rodgers is apparently <laughs> motivated and Williams has played great this year and he's a great receiver and you could see last night I think you're right uh about the Devontae Adams thing that they're like sitting him. They're also going into a bye week. It's like they don't even need to use Aaron Jones every snap. They're playing Jamal Williams half the time because they're like, Let, let's just ease off the pedal with Aaron Jones. We can beat the Falcons with any of our guys. Will this go down as the greatest Packers draft of the last 20 years with two you know, high selections that aren't even on the field? Just for the fact that it set a fire under so many buttocks. I mean, that's the only way to explain it, um, the, like positively, because legitimately – um, this was a team that really looked overmatched against the 49ers in the playoffs. And then they draft two players that they aren't even using. But they've, they've gotten better uh, year two in the system. But, like, Packers fans are like, yeah, stick it to the people. But, no, you're not using the players. <laughs> like, 
Right. <laughs> maybe, it also shows you shouldn't go to on the field. I really did think at the time people were overreacting, if only because the first two draft picks on your team are not going to make or break your season. Like we've watched enough football that, of course, um, you know, you want them to come and contribute. But if anything, this is validation that, you know, the Packers should be thinking long term. Uh, I'd rather have a developmental quarterback than like T. Higgins. I'm sorry. I just even T. Higgins and T. Higgins is good. Like I'd rather have a quarterback. Anyways. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that we're talking about now the offense having all this firepower when the whole story all through the offseason was, well, they screwed Rodgers here. They didn't get him help. He still doesn't have enough help. And maybe a part of this is Rodgers, too, changing the way he's played. We've heard a lot about like how he's become more zen this season and how he's more introspective than ever before and he's become in addition to his incredible intelligence uh, 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 like some type of shaman or something i don't know what's going on with that storyline but i would like to get more of a football take on what's taken him from this and he even said it like when he was asked like how do you explain your career resur- resurgence and he fairly pointed out he's like my quote-unquote bad years are like career years for many other quarterbacks which is fairly true but also i want to know what the light that went on is this all just the competitor Mm. is this that he's a shaman like how did this happen because he's unbelievable schedule schedule has helped the offensive line certainly and yeah year two i think uh, i think there really is something to that we've seen a lot of systems take off in year two like Kyle Shanahan when he was in Atlanta and Matt LaFleur was on that staff actually in, in year two, you know, they just, they seem to, they seem to know what they're doing. And the years before that where he, you know, he and Mike McCarthy were tired of each other. And it's like, think of any environment that you're in where you're just kind of getting, you're bored. You need a little bit of a spark and the spark has come and the spark is Matt LaFleur. He's not a little boy with a beard anymore. I mean, he's just, you can't call him that at this he's point. He's four years older. I think it was Roger Sherman from the <laughs> ringer who pointed that out. I was like shocked by that, that he's four years older than Aaron Rodgers. Well, again, just, everyone calls the quarterback old and the coach seems so young. Again, right, when right, Keith hands us in my garage last December labeled Matt LaFleur the bearded boy. It was more based on his youthful appearance and how it's incongruous that he had this full facial hair. I don't think it was like saying that he was overmatched in, in, in the gig. Just to make that. A, I do want a to make a bit of that in there, I think. I do want to make one final point in this game. They're 0-4, and, and, I, and I have seen a little bit of the chatter beginning of like, well, is this the end of Matt Ryan in Atlanta? Which is, I, I think that's premature. I thought about that. But Falcons fans are thinking about that. And it is... Interesting that Thomas Dimitrov in this entire run, which has been by far the most successful run in Atlanta Falcons history, started with Dimitrov um, and Matt Ryan together. And uh, I I don't think they're going to have the same front office or or coach next year. I do think Matt Ryan like would be worth keeping around, but he he needs to be special to kind of make them competitive, and and he's not special right now. Or you you wonder if Julio Jones could be dangled in a trade, or they draft a guy and keep Ryan for another year or two. That sort of thing. You sense a radical reboot could be in the cards potentially for Atlanta. All right. Good talk there. One game was the CBS Sunday property that was shifted. The other was Monday Night Football. But now we move forward to talk about the Texans. And to do that, uh, let us welcome in. He is the co-host on the morning show at Sports Radio 610 in Houston. He played a decade in the NFL with the Texans and the Jaguars. A collegiate standout at Cornell. Never heard of it. And now he's making his wow. return to the Around the NFL podcast to talk about what comes next for the Texans. It's Seth Bain. Oh, oh, hello. Hello there. Sorry. I was just reading a book. <laughs> Pass it on by Deshaun Watson. Did you just write that? For our, for our audio listeners, Seth, yeah, Seth is, is knee deep in um, a premature biography by Deshaun Watson. Wait, did not, he write it or who wrote it? It's a long, it's a long book for a young man. I'll tell you that much. Is there, is there like a chapter about how Bill O'Brien is the right man to take me through my career? Well, look, Deshaun has professed his love for for Bill O'Brien at times, and look, Deshaun, as I've always said, is Deshaun is a guy that is like truly committed to doing things the right way. Um, as, as, as I was just reading in the book, true greatness takes time and patience. An effective leader, I was learning, never expresses impatience with goals that require time. Uh, and uh, this is what Deshaun is. He's patient. And I think he was really patient with Bill O'Brien as much as he could and tried to do right by Bill O'Brien. 
I don't I don't know how many tears he's crying for Bill O'Brien, like mm. or, or moving on from him. But I think the sentiment here in Houston was that he's reached his limit with Bill O'Brien, and we need somebody else to start developing Deshaun Watson. You know, Seth, I was tracking your Twitter ahead of today's appearance, <laughs> yeah. and I found it interesting. I'm going to read actually a tweet from Seth uh, oh. because he's got a, a pretty fire take about what's going on in that building. Here, here it is. The only way I'll be okay with Jack Easterby remaining in the organization is if he hires somebody else to be the genuine general manager, oversee the culture and all that TED Talk drivel, but don't let him near a calculator or a DocuSign app. So you're basically saying, everybody's saying, oh, we figured out that the problem here, it was Bill O'Brien, the power-hungry monster that he was. Get him out of here. But you're saying there still might be an, another beast lurking beneath the surface. There, yes, and it, that's Jack Easterby, the vice president of football operations, whose previous stays in the NFL included uh, his time as the team pastor in Kansas City <laughs> and the character coach in New England. Somehow he vaulted himself up into the to now the supreme executive position on the football side of operations in in Houston beneath ownership. Um, And this whole last year, it's been presented to us that, hey, Bill O'Brien and and Jack Easterby are just walking in lockstep. These guys, they've got a plan for the Texans. Look, it'll be fine getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. No big deal. We've got Randall Cobb coming in. Hey, don't worry about Jadavion Clowney. It's easy to stop the run and rush the passer. Uh, but now all of a sudden, I guess we're to believe that, no, the whole problem is just that Bill O'Brien doesn't know which play to call on fourth and one. Mm-hmm. All these personnel moves have yielded you just a magnificent roster. I'm getting kind of nervous that the, I'm getting kind of nervous that ownership doesn't understand just how much havoc has been wreaked on this roster. I would say I, I love your Easterby heat because I read the Greg Bedard article that you also sent out on your Twitter. And, and it goes back in time talking about the fact that there's this duality to Easterby that yes, he is this pastor and he's helped all these families and people are like, he's a good guy and I like him, but he's also really like a magnet for, he's power hungry and he's it's Bill like, O'Brien. Well, I, no, I'm sorry, but Easterby came in like he, first of all, really irritated the Patriots. When he left New England, and it sounds like he might have been a little bit behind some of this Nick Casario business and all this other stuff that happened. I mean, he's kind of feels like a Senator Palpatine kind of lodged into the middle of the Republic here. I don't like it at all. Um, if I'm a Texas fan, you want to you got to get deeper and root him out. It's I, I, how do you bring someone new in and say well, this guy is going to be lurking alongside your new, your first year coaching career in Houston? It's like it's like getting into a relationship uh, with someone who is cheating on their significant other. Like, why would you trust that person to not continue to cheat? Jack, Jack Easterby, by the way, Bedard completely predicted that he was going to take over the organization two years ago. Yeah. Jack Easterby was hired by Bill O'Brien because they were so close. Um, Jack Easterby pretty obviously uses media contacts, uh, to burnish his reputation to rise in the industry. Uh, oh, by the way, who did that like better than any coach I've ever seen? Bill O'Brien, who like kept turning, you know, was never got out of the media cycle, uh, had, had a certain agent, like never got out of the media cycle, turned like OK jobs into all these opportunities, but was awesome at office politics and using the media and sidling up to ownership to figure out how to get more power. So Easterby comes in. By all accounts, rap sheet says the relationship turned sour in a in a minute where suddenly O'Brien, how I read into it, was shocked that like he had been backstabbed by this guy um, who was probably cozying up with ownership. Basically, he did the Bill O'Brien move. Oh, at least Bill O'Brien, though, like, I don't know, is on a has been on a football staff and like calls plays and had some track record of success. So I'm with you, Seth. This this for whatever reason, it's on my radar. They deserve a total restart, uh, Patrick. And can't you like isn't the last thing if you were a Texans fan, wouldn't it be like another Patriots reboot? Because there's some talk that like Easterby is going to bring in, you know, McDaniels or they'll do some sort of like Patriots light again, which just seems like the worst thing to do. You just you just want the next coach, and I saw so many people floating uh, this idea that that well, this is the spot, right? We've been waiting uh, for so long to to get an opportunity uh, to get coach, uh, you know, coming out of Kansas City to, to come in there, and it's like, well, is is this the spot? You know, is he going to have uh, this opportunity 
to be successful in Houston. And, and I kind of wonder, because Greg, you were talking about, um, you know, Bill O'Brien keeping his media contacts. Like I, I've seen looking at Seth's timeline uh, in the past 24 hours, looking at Aaron Wilson's timeline. I, I do want to bring up one of Aaron's tweets where he said uh, when GM Bill O'Brien fired people over the years, he did so with a lot of F-bombs and orders to get the F out of the building immediately per source. Mm. That wasn't how he was dismissed today. <laughs> and there was just like that little sprinkle, right? So there's that, that little that little bit Tell of joy. Tell us about the sprinkles, yeah. Seth. Yeah. That was, <laughs> tell, us, tell us about these sprinkles, Seth, that are coming out of Houston. Uh, was, because I feel like you guys are, are okay uh, with the events here. Well, it, and honestly, for the most part with the media, like he had his bristly moments. But, yeah, there was always these things you'd hear about the way he treated people or the, the way he interacted with people. I mean, the, the, the best video evidence was at halftime of the Denver game when he got into a shouting match with a fan uh, where he said, now, quote, and I'll bleep myself. You suck too. Bleep, bleep, bleep. You suck <laughs> too. Awesome. Bleep, bleep. I liked bleep. him more after that. <laughs> I know. I know. Hey, at the moment, we were in the middle of the playoff run. We thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Two, two, uh, two weeks later. Unacceptable behavior. Speaking of a playoff run, they were up 24 to nothing like three games ago in the divisional playoffs. I mean, he did not win another game yeah. after that. It's crazy how like quickly it turned. That's why I blame ownership way more. And there was a vacuum. Uh, and I know you can speak to this better, but there was a vacuum of power. You know, their their previous owner died, and then his son, Cal, comes in, and, and Bill O'Brien kind of fills it. But I, I blame all of this, in fact, on ownership. And if they continue on with Easterby, that's on them, too, because they're, they're the ones who – okayed all of these trades and bringing in Easterby, they promoted Bill O'Brien in January and gave him a long new contract. So he, he lasted four games with that long GM contract. Well, what, what I'm kind of trying to get a sense or a feel for is exactly how this progressed and what Cal McNair, the owner, was thinking along the way, whether this was just an experiment and he was going to see how it played out because he likes Jack Easterby. As you said, Easterby comes in and uh, he has a way of ingratiating himself to people. Uh, you might call him an opportunist, and it's just it, it training camp. You know, my co-host Sean Pendergast was one of the few media members allowed in training camp this offseason, and it was, hey, it was Jack and Bill riding side by side. These guys are the, the dynamic duo. All of a sudden, things go south in the first few weeks of the season, and there's a shakeup, and Jack Easterby survives. There, Look, there's no shortage of drama here. Ownership allowed – Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby to execute these trades, to sign these veteran players, to renegotiate guys and give them extensions that are far above their probable market value. I'm still, though, kind of impressed that Cal McNair pulled the trigger on Bill O'Brien this early in the season. I just I worry that Jack Easterby Hmm. has his tendrils into the organization and that he somehow he can't be the general manager of this team. He just can't. But will he? Do you think that's how it's going to end up? If you have, a, if you had a guess, there's a fifty-fifty chance that he's you, the general manager. That, that's team. his. That's his end game. He wants to get to that level where. Yeah, that that's what's been reported. Bedard thought so, and he basically was at that level. That's that's why it makes zero sense because Easterby made these trades with O'Brien. He he traded DeAndre Hopkins. He um, made the trade for Tunsil. By the way, the Dolphins are loving this Texan seasons. They have the oh. first picks of the Texans in the first and second round next year. They, I mean, they might get a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence or who knows, or trade the pick that is Trevor Lawrence. Like um, they gave the extensions. This has been a little under the radar, a crazy extension to me to Whitney Merciless, who, who's been a good player um, and, a, and it seems like a great guy, but was a wild um, extension. And, and the extension for Zach Cunningham was kind of wild too. There, there's been a lot of uh, things going on. At least well, you have Deshaun Watson, though. It can't be too bad. They've had this. Look, and the reason I was reading the Deshaun Watson book is that that's you get the sense that this organization right now is being run by a, basically a whole bunch of motivational yim-yam, just nonsense that they picked up, you know, in a hardcover pamphlet that you buy at the airport because it looks like a good way to maybe improve your performance at work. Uh, but just mantras all over the place, do the next best thing, be DTS, dependable, tough, smart. I'm going to tell you how discombobulated this is. They came up with this, these three things that they want all their players to be, dependable, tough, and smart. Guys, we spent 
We spent with this brain trust with the Texans nine months trying to figure out which order you were supposed to pronounce DTS in. They started off saying smart, tough, dependable. Do yeah, that in your work. brain real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they moved on to TDS, which was kind of cool. Touchdowns, right? But then you got Bill O'Brien say, saying DTS. You got, you got Jack Easterbyan saying TSD. Uh, and until finally they put it on a T-shirt during training camp, we couldn't come to a consensus on how to say DTS. It's that kind of an organization. I have the sense of like, basically, you remember those old motivational work posters from the 80s where there's like a little kitten hanging on. It says, just hang in there. Or then you got a picture of a, a Vince Lombardi yelling at a player or something. It's, a, it's an organization fueled by motivational nonsense. Mm. Well, you know, you did make right. Good to see you, Patrick, by the way. I, you weren't here last time. <laughs> good to be here. I wish it was under different circumstances. You made another good point, Seth, too, that if you want to take anything out of this now, it's it's well, it's not house money because you're down a lot. But uh, there's no reason to tank uh, because you don't have your picks anyway. So maybe Deshaun <laughs> Watson, maybe with Bill O'Brien out of there, uh, you know, crazier things have happened. The San Diego Chargers started zero and four and went to the Super Bowl. That's not going to happen to the Texans. But I wouldn't be totally stunned with if a Deshaun Watson team got hot one three in a row and then all of a sudden it's like oh. They're kind of frisky in the mix for that seventh seed. I'm not totally counting out the season as a lost cause. That's great. Um, I, I, the thing I dread about that is that somehow then we're going to start hearing like, wow, you fired Bill O'Brien too soon. Oh, boy, you just uh, you pulled the plug too early. I think you that- keep Romeo. Romeo kept the last time. I believe um, that was the last time he was made interim head coach. I feel like he's been interim a few times, but that's how he kept the job in Kansas City. He was made interim uh, did pretty well, and then got one more year, um, which was regret. which was Never a disaster. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's now the oldest coach in NFL history. He's beat out George Hallis and Marv Levy, I believe. I think he's seventy three years old. So uh, well, look, we lo- we love Romeo Cornell here. He's been here like as uh, he's been he's been the all time defensive coordinator. I don't know what you guys called the all time player back where you grew up, uh, like the all time QB, the guy that'll always step in. Sure. It, there's a regional difference. Um, we called him the all-time QB. Yeah. Uh, like, when a defensive coordinator, like, Romeo Cornell got demoted by promotion so Vrabel could be the defensive coordinator. Then Vrabel left, and Romeo stepped in and was the defensive coordinator. And then Anthony Weaver is now the defensive coordinator. But Romeo is such a good dude that he stuck around, and now he's the head coach of a football team again. Wait, I just realized they took a picture at midfield before last week's game of the three all-time Texans coach because Dom Capers uh, is on Gary Kubiak's staff in Minnesota, which I didn't even realize. He's on that staff in Minnesota. And Bill O'Brien was there. And so they had a nice photo op of the – and who knew they were only taking it because that was Bill O'Brien's last game. Easter I knew, I knew because in my draft folder I have a tweet that says, hey, it's the three former coaches of the Houston Texans that I decided against tweeting out uh, that day before. I was, gonna, I was keeping a positive attitude. Yeah. Um, all right, Seth, before you go, I just want to – Get this out there because I couldn't live with myself. You seem like a man of principle, a family man, an Ivy League scholar. But this celebration of the Astros as some oh. kind of underdog story, it's uncouth and it's beneath you. Come on now. What, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stop loving my team because no, they made a mistake a three years ago? I feel like anybody who does if you don't understand, and I'm not speaking to any of you here because I know you wouldn't be like this, but if you can't understand why somebody would still love something after – that thing has made a mistake. I feel like I feel like it's an indictment of your own parenting skills. Because who has children who haven't made mistakes? And yes, you still love them. And, and I'll say this to you too: I've, I've given up trying to you know argue or relitigate the cheating scandal or however other many teams may have been doing what the Astros were doing. Um, Jose Altuve. This is the one thing I would say to you and your esteemed audience, who I love because they're the best uh, best listenership outside of the listeners of Pain and Pendergast in the land. Uh, Jose Altuve. <laughs> has been made the face of this scandal. And he is one of the three players who participated in this the least and didn't want a part of it. The players will tell you that. Um, the independent investigator that started a website where he tried to count the number of thumps that he heard, 
said that Altuve had the least suspicion of any of them. Oh, stop it. We saw the wire under the jersey oh, after that. Yeah, I think you've won everyone over here. You've won everyone over. And then in terms of, uh, look, uh, Chapman didn't have it that night. Threw six balls in a row. He couldn't find his fastball. And Jose had a new, new, new tattoo. beneath you, Seth. They, but... They've been trying to tear his jersey off. After walk-off since 2015. This was you know, like you do sound like a parent of a child that will always defend the child, no matter how hideous they are. I'm, def- I'm defending Jose Altuve, and that's it. I've reserved right. it to Jose Altuve's life. Have, have me on the show down there in Houston when the Yankees are playing him in the ALCS. Let's talk about it, all right? His- history will prove me right. All right, Seth, besides <laughs> that, it was awesome. Have you there. You're, you're, you're such a great voice in all things Houston sports related. Uh, so we appreciate it. And uh, please c- join us again. And, and my best to Chris. And I got to tell you guys, honestly, uh, to, to be very serious for a moment, the way you guys have handled um, just everything with Chris and, and, uh, and as he's fought his way through this, it's been, it's been really cool. Like I've teared up at times just when you guys are being really funny about it and talking about your little C band or anything like that. Um it's been uh, it's been really it's been a really good example for the way guys can support each other through stuff like this. And I wish the best to Chris. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate that, Thank man. You, man. All right, there I'll, he goes. I'll the great it. Seth Payne. Good appearance by Seth. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Hey, let's check in uh, before we get to Thursday night football uh, on some COVID nineteen stuff. You know, I, I want the audience to know that I really want to put together some type of COVID-19 drop to get us into these conversations. But then I feel like I'll, I'll have some uh, keyboard warriors saying that I'm being insensitive. So I'm not. So that that's a that's a sign of maturity from the old Zeuser. Uh, so we just get straight into the COVID-19 talk here. Uh, we'll start for with those the, keeping score on Dan's maturity. That's a that's a, that's a little <laughs> item for you to add to the notebook right there. The Tennessee Titans had no positive COVID nineteen test on Tuesday. Mike Vrabel announced, uh, and the team could return to the practice facility on Wednesday, even though the Titans have not yet been cleared to go back into the building. The head coach hopes that they'll get approval by Wednesday morning. In case you haven't tracked this closely, a total of twenty Titans players and other staff members have tested positive for the coronavirus in the past mm. uh, nine days, I believe. Uh, the NFL announced last week that the Titans-Steelers game was going to be pushed till October 25th. Tennessee is scheduled to play the Bills in week five. And, two undefeated uh, teams. Two undefeated teams, and that's not going to be a uh, slam dunk either. We'll see how this progresses. Uh, but even if everything goes well from here, they're going to be missing a bunch of players, uh, Mark, uh, against the Bills in a big game with a big conference uh, ramifications. I mean, I, you know, it's it's it still remains the story where every time you open Twitter, that you're wondering what the newest will be, what what update there will be. And I, for me, again, I point to the game last night, the Patriots Chiefs game that I I just don't view. I don't will never really view this as a season equal to any other. If if that stuff's going to happen, I mean that completely well, altered that the, game. I totally understand you on on one side of that, but like, what is the alternative there? I'm not saying there's an alternative. It's just that they could have postponed there needs that to game. Be. That, that, that would have been in that, that case. They could have been. They were taking ahead, a risk. Yeah, they were taking a risk. Right. Your your alternatives all happened before the season. Right. The alternative to add a couple of buys, uh, to put a little more elasticity in the schedule. Uh, those were regional all play. That, yeah. You could have done that before the season at this point. Uh, it, it's kind of what it is. You're just banking on buys and hoping like the, the postponements and the delays that would normally mirror like a hurricane season, except this is a hurricane season where hurricanes can literally, uh, spawn up at any point in any state in the union. And you just got to kind of hope. And that's where we are. Yeah. And in other uh, COVID-19 news, found this to be very interesting uh, that the NFL is, you know, trying to control this and uh, and control an uncontrollable situation. And they call it there's a memo that uh, that got released to the media. Uh, an ex- excerpt read complacency is our shared opponent this coming from. Uh, the NFL and this idea that, hey, if you're not going to listen to us uh, when we fine you or threaten draft picks, well, how about this? If, you, if you're if you acting a knucklehead as a team, like the Raiders doing that charity event and going maskless and all that, 
or again, the Raiders having someone unauthorized, uh, unauthorized in their locker room after a, a game. If you're going to do that kind of stuff, uh, you could forfeit a game. And that is something that's in play, I think, too. If, if it does, imagine how, how that would be. It's un, you wouldn't, a year ago, it would be unthinkable that something like that could happen. But if there's another big outbreak and there becomes a clear line of how this started, you wonder if the NFL would ever actually act on that and award a mm. two to nothing win to a team, which is how it works technically. Well, I heard you said it well in the in our one of our text threads at the end, like trying to set up guardrails or these rules for something almost that it, it's impossible to for. Like they they want to set up the rules, but I, I struggle with them sometimes. Oh, of course they have to do this. And it's positive that they're doing this in terms of the fining and the masks and, and everything. But the, the NFL is the one that decided to play that Titans Vikings game with two people who uh, at least more than two, but including Jeffrey Simmons, by the way, who who's a big star for, for Tennessee now and is playing really well, who, who ended up testing positive and they had an outbreak and and so I think playing that game, you could argue being in a plane together, you know, contributed to that. So who's getting fined for that? You know, um, who it, it's it's tough because, of course, you have to have rules. And I've heard the Dr. Sills, who's in charge of it, speak really well on this. But I find it confusing, too, when you're you're finding these players for masks and the coaches for masks during the game. But it's all good to be, you know growing up and hugging and like arms around each other without masks after the game. Like, so what's like, what's the difference? It's just, there's no, like, maybe there's no right answer. Like, but it's just, it's a little, it's a little confusing. Like I, I appreciated Belichick not shaking Andy Reid's hand last night. That's, you know, he was like, no, I'm going to give you my elbow. <laughs> he like, also lost. He's known for that. Right. No, I mean, he gave him, he gave him, he gave him the, I'm just saying it's a little confusing because like the, the, you're getting fined for the mass at this event, but you're, but it's all good to be like, there was literally a conga line of young Chargers players and not one of them was a Chargers players. I recognize they were all like young practice squad guys waiting to give Tom Brady a massive hug yes, after I that game. That there was like 15 of them. And so like, I don't know what. How is that different than the charity event? And they decided to play this Patriots game, knowing that there at least was some risk that they're increasing the spread of it. Like, and hopefully they avoid that. And it looks like they are, but I, I don't know. There's there's no right answers. I'm just I'm rambling. No, I, mean, I would I, like to I, apologize though for cutting Mark off in the previous talk. I I got to improve no, myself as a person. It. No more cutting off. Mark, do you have something to say? No, I think it's all been said. Said well. Yeah. No, I was. I think much, it is a, kind of a, a a greater issue. I I had mentioned yesterday, like it's similar to if you do go out to eat in a restaurant, how you must wear the mask when you're walking into the restaurant or you go to the restroom. You sit down at your table and you're allowed to take the mask off and you play by the rules because everybody wants to kind of get through this together. But then if you like take a step back, is like, are we actually? being any safer are we or is this really working uh, but you just do it because we don't know what else to do as a, as a society uh it's it's uh man it's uncertain times it really is all right claybon put a button on it i i, I want to hear your opinion on this on uh safety like because like you said <laughs> we don't know right we don't know and some of it may be like safety theater um wearing the masks uh, being in certain places with masks, being in certain places without masks, but ultimately, uh, we don't know. And if you if you have your mask on and you're around people that you don't know, then then you should, right? That you're doing the right thing uh, because you know what you can control when you're around your team. Uh, I guess if you're in Tom Brady's circumstance and you're around guys who have cleared the protocol um, and made it to the point where they're on the field, then perhaps you can dap them up a little more safely than going going out to Harris Teeter. And, you know, kissing old ladies on the cheek, uh, that would probably be a bad thing. There. Or fair. if you're in a club situation like the Raiders and you're just you're out there or like when I'm watching college football games and I see uh, guys score touchdowns and they're they're high five sta- kids in the stands like, yeah, Thanks. yeah. But it's like, no, no, right. <laughs> don't do that. You just yeah. have to you have to kind of be aware of the circumstances that you're currently in. 
and, and go with the best practices there because, you know, we, we don't know. You got a league that's like, hey, follow the circumstances, you know, do your part. And then you've got a president that's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I made it. All you losers are going to make it too. So it's just like you just do uh, what you think is best uh, in that particular moment. And the league has its plan. And so, uh, you know, I think it makes sense to follow the plan. The Raiders are, are doing the most Raiders-y thing this season in response to COVID-19 also. And sometimes, you know, we celebrate the Raiders for being kind of their own organization, but like, I don't know, between Gruden not wearing the mask, getting the fine, and then still not wearing the mask, and the guy in the locker room, and the It's ironic because they made t-shirts about it. So Gruden apparently had a pretty rough case of COVID that, you know, he didn't tell anyone at the, or they didn't tell the media at the time, but, you know, partly inspired by that, they made t-shirts they made it part of their whole camp that they were going to dominate the disease. I think that was the T-shirt. It was like dominate the virus, and they all have dominate the virus shirts. So I don't know. There, so another there are... another game plan failure for the Raiders. This <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on to Thursday night football. Uh, d- by the way, is Thursday night football because Colleen and the gang do, do such great work on the pre, post, and halftime show, but. Did they ever replace Priyanka? Is there like a Thursday Night Football song? They, they did like seven years ago, she, Dan. They got rid of Pri- Priyanka lasted one year. Yeah, but like how does you the mean new like song a, go? Not a, dance a new iteration? Oh, what's the new song? <laughs> yeah. Well, remember um, was there was some sort of like um insane like robotic graphical song they, for a while. They did for <laughs> a while. Um they did. Mark is right. They replaced it with something forgettable. It's and like, yeah. I could be wrong, but I think they might maybe after that one didn't work either. They just went to no song, which is well. That's I think what I'm saying. Nice. No, is, no. is there a song now? I know Priyanka's no. been history for years. I think they it killed be, the song. They have no like, song. Could be Ozzy Colleen. That would work. I think they they added us a, a little bonus, like Joe and Troy, uh, instead of the song, because like that's for good. a while there during the during the run up, right? It, it's like you'd have all this pomp and circumstance and there's a song. And it's like, and it's like, here's Brian Hoyer running out on Thursday night football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor Brian Hoyer. Well, you can beating. tell this game is a Fox game because now it's suddenly, okay, we got the bears, big market there. Three and one. We got Tom Brady. It's like, once it's back on Fox, they start, they start giving the better opponents. Unfortunately. Yeah, so here we are. Bucks bears at soldier field. Uh, obviously, uh, week four did not go to plan for the Bears, who were three and zero. They had Nick Foles locked and loaded as the starter, and then they they lay a total egg on offense. And that was a if you got a chance to watch that game, a very rough loss. Uh, uh, look for the offense. Nineteen to eleven was the final in that game. A late touchdown to make it look somewhat respectable. Foles still the quarterback, and uh, Claybon will start with the Bucks though, because I um, my takeaway from Sunday's win uh, by the Bucks over the Chargers was like, if we needed definitive proof that this is not Joe Namath on the Rams, this is not Johnny Unitas on the Chargers, we got it uh, in Tampa on on Sunday. Because if you if you surround forty three year old Tom Brady with a strong offensive line and weapons, he will light you up like a star quarterback. He can still be that guy, and to me, that raised the ceiling for this whole team. Yeah, it, it, the circumstances were good. Uh, the circumstances are getting worse. Uh, that was a Chargers team that, that's honestly kind of beat up uh, on defense. And then O.J. Howard has the Achilles injury um, where we know we're not getting – we're definitely not getting pink Gronk. Uh, are, are we even getting 75% Gronk? Not uh, yet. Um, and so th- those circumstances, I, I do believe, are, are changing. He's not going to have like – in the preseason, there was there was all this talk. MJD was was predicting, you know, 55, 60 touchdowns for Tom Brady. Uh, we know that that's kind of like all that stuff is really? happening. <laughs> yeah, he, he said 55. Okay. Touchdown, Tom. Um, but we, we saw how it can look. You know, Mike Evans was limping down the field and still catching touchdowns. Uh, but, but they lose another weapon, and you just kind of wonder at what point is it going to break. I think we're going to learn a lot on Thursday uh, with the way that the Bears can play defense. Um, as to how sustainable this is, but but yeah, he's he's not he's not dust like some other guys are. I mean, I think you have to wonder who he's who the Bears are going to be playing defense against because Chris Godwin, you know, Leonard Fournette sounds like he's not going to play. Mike Evans is banged up. Scotty Miller's banged up. Justin Watson—that's their four top wide receivers—are not healthy. 
I mean, it's not even the, the list well, goes on. They Miller, Miller and Watson list. finished the game, I think, and Evan. So I but would they didn't think practice. they're going to play. They, they didn't not practice. practicing. Yeah, so I it's like, I mean, it's, it's just that it's a short week. So do you get OJ healthy? Howard's not coming back. He He's not coming back, uh, you know. But they, but to to the point on Brady, I mean, you know, PFF tracks these like big money throws, and he's had three of them in every game this season, and he had five of them in the last one, and it's like he, the dudes, like, like I get that the Tom Brady like arm strength might not be what it was, and all this other stuff, but it's fine. He's working yeah. in this offense, yeah, he is. I, so I, it's, I, it's I, working he's, out. He's um, I did it again there, did you, Mark? I did it again. <laughs> Just uh, it's just a Rosenthal curse. I noticed it at the dinner table. Um, I have been saying that uh, Brady's arm wasn't the problem. I thought that last year that he they had problems and he had problems and their offense had problems, but his arm strength wasn't it. He never had the the strongest arm, and right now he's he's hitting deep shots as much as anyone. And I think his arm strength has looked great. Awesome. I don't think yeah, physically he looks as good as you could hope. I don't think the offense has been awesome for a complete game yet. In fact, they've very consistently looked very good for a half and sort of terrible for a half. Uh, and they did that last week, but that the great for a half was like next level. Bruce Arians bombs away. Really fun to watch. I think Gronk having that play a bigger role is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see because they don't really have a guy to replace OJ Howard. That's what Bruce Arians said. But you said it. I think this Bears defense is competent. They're well coached uh, with Chuck Pagano, and I think they're easily the toughest matchup uh, that Tampa has had. The problem is it's the toughest matchup, you know, the Bears offense has had, too. I think even the fact that I know they just played the Colts, I think this Bucks defense, you know, would would be my pick as the the toughest one to go against. I know the Chargers got hit some shots last week, and, and that can happen. Um, but I love this Bucks defense, especially how many blitzes they're going to send at Nick Foles and, and see what he can do. I just want to tell you one thing that is driving me nuts about the Bears. And Matt Nagy, who feels like the anti-Matt LaFleur to me in many ways, he had a quote after the last game saying, allowing 19 points is enough for us to win a football game. This has been a theme for us. That's their theme. Just allow 19 points and we'll win. Here's the problem. They haven't, they've scored under 20 points in 11 of their past 20 games. And there's an 82% win rate for teams in that situation where your defense allows 19 or fewer. The Bears have lost four of those games because they can't, they're not, they're not able on the other side of the ball to take advantage of what their defense has given them. I think they miss Tariq Cohen a lot. I think they will. Like they, the Bears have a disease which has traveled around the league. And I love I love uh, Corderell Patterson as a player, sort of. But they have caught the too much Corderell Patterson disease. Every team that he, he goes on, <laughs> at some point they become convinced he should be a huge part of their offense. And that's always his last season with the team. Like, he, he's one of the best special teamers of the last 20 years. And he's a nice gadget player. But, like, at the moment where he becomes an integral part of the offense – the offense like it did in New England and Minnesota and, and before it, then it like falls apart. They've got the too much quarter out. What's his ceiling? Like Ted Ginn? Well, he's I think his, a, his ceiling is his first year with the team. And then it, then it's right. ceiling. Yeah. The ceiling is an unreal special teams player. Literally what, you know, like one of the best of the last 15 years awesome. that should yeah. get like three touches a game. And that's, his, that's his it. floor is Greg Rosenthal calling him a literal disease. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's funny. It's too bad. Cause he's a fun guy to watch too. But at some point, every coach thinks like they're going to unlock the quarter L Patterson that the seven previous pretty good offensive coordinators have and unlocked and it, it never happens mark you you had the bucks shorthanded on a short week uh losing to the bears yes or no no i don't believe okay. in the bears at all just checking i i'm saying i'm saying with you what about you Claybon? i i actually do believe in the bears this game and it may be a, a wild theory uh, but we've seen the way that things have fallen out in philadelphia and the way frank reich talked about nick Foles uh last week it was kind of this idea that Nick Foles was this broken quarterback and Frank Wright came in and healed him, right? And now he comes into a game where he's coaching against him, and he just – it seemed like um, if anybody knows Nick Foles' limitations, it was going to be the head coach of the mm-hmm. Indianapolis Colts. And uh, I do expect Nick Foles and Matt Nagy to, to have a little more competent offense, even against maybe a defense that's better in some areas in Tampa Bay. But I think, you know, primetime Nick Foles is going yeah. to – Present some uh, some difficulties. We saw it. I, Bruce in the game. 
Well, we it's Brady it. versus Foles. Come on. I mean, that's we a, saw it. We saw what I still believe is the best Super Bowl performance by a quarterback in NFL history. And no one like wants to give it to Foles. They like pretend that he was lucky. Those throws were not lucky. They were like seven or eight of the greatest throws that you'll ever see into tight coverage. I'm with you that I think the Bears are too big an underdog. They're a, a sizable underdog in this game. And I think I think it'll be tight. I mean, put it this way. I think Foles outplayed Phillip Rivers in that game. I don't think Foles was like the worst player ever. Uh, but they, they just don't have a lot going on. A little bit Here's of what I would do, though. I would... On that take. I mean, you got Phil Sims in 21. You got Joe Montana Super Bowls. You got Steve Young against the Chargers. These were all amazing games. So I just want to mm-hmm. put some you know, tight windows, 41 points back and forth, you know, beating Tom Brady who had 500 yards. It was more like the. the, the hey, we aren't even talking about Nick Foles catching the ball in that game, which was, you know, part of the story, too. Legend. That was a nice to it. Definitely cut in. Uh, what did that uh, cut into a lead or gave them a slight lead going into halftime of that game? What was it again? <laughs> I'm not getting into it. But if I'm Matt Nagy, I start Mitchell Trubisky every single game and bring bring Nick Foles in with about two minutes to go uh, like left that. in the first quarter. Then you get the Nick Foles who's probably been a little annoyed that he's not starting. Then you get you know the, he's unhinged. This starting Nick Foles business is a disaster. I don't start him. You, you bring him in later. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Check it out. Watch Colleen on NFL Network. Ah, keep the dial on NFL Network. You can go to Fox if you want, but why would you? You watched uh, Claybon on Fantasy Live three times a week. I saw him um, hosting like a hard pivot to Bill O'Brien. Like, <laughs> the Bill O'Brien firing coverage just ended with like, you know, somber tones of Ian Rappaport. And then they, and it's like, Hey, I'm Patrick Claywood. So what's the fantasy impact of Bill O'Brien being fired? Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you, you got to be versatile, Greg. Um, I like that. We, had, like we that. had all this fun stuff planned, and then it's like, oh, yeah, Bill O'Brien's dead now. <laughs> let's have this. Let's I do like uh, career at the top of the show. I like Ian Rappaport, like sad, serious voice. And that's what's happening right now. Back to you, Andrew. It's like, okay, time to get serious, Walter Cronkite. Um, All right. Thank you, Patrick, uh, for joining us. One thing uh, on a serious note to end the show, uh, really sad news uh, for Mark and I and everyone connected to Jason Feller, who uh, is a NFL.com guy from the very beginning. Uh, He was part of the team that relaunched NFL.com in the late 2000s and then was there through the early period of Mark and I. Uh, being there, and he was always such a good dude. He passed away yesterday from cancer. It was a long four-year battle. Uh, it was, you know, pretty crushing. He's he's got a wife and two young children, so we lost Feller uh, far too soon. Um, and just to let everyone know, and you could check it out on our uh, social accounts. But uh, and I can't even imagine how how you're able to do this thing. But Feller, before he passed away, was involved with, with starting up a GoFundMe to help pay for the funeral costs and the mounting medical bills that aren't covered by insurance for his family. So if you want to um, help out somebody, and Mark, I know you have thoughts on this too, uh, who is a really special guy uh, who's gone too soon, uh, go check out our social and hit the link, and anything you could give to help get toward their goal would be um, great. Yeah, I mean, Jason was... He was there when we first arrived. And back then, you know, you know, Claybon, you, you see the NFL network newsroom today. You're probably one of the only people in there, but it's massive. It's, it's, it's this big long room. And that building, by the way, used to be a call center. We can talk about that another time. But <laughs> when I got there, it was very small, right, Dan? I mean, and they broke down walls and stuff, but it was just a news desk of about, um, 10, 12 people tops. I mean, the whole thing. And I came in there. I couldn't have been more raw. And Jason Feller was a sports nut. Like, he reminds me of Greg a little bit where like we'd be like in the middle of a dense day of NFL action and he'd be watching like a tennis game um, from like central Japan and like, you know, a bowling thing. And he's all fired up about all three sports at the same time. And I would give him my copy occasionally because I was still figuring out what the hell was going on. And he'd read it and like he'd come back, he'd say, all right, it's fine. He goes, this line, what the hell is this line? This does not belong in a, in a story. I was like, well, I mean, he would teach you, but he was an awesome, kind, wonderful guy. And Dan, I know that you battled him on the basketball court. I mean, he was a passionate individual who <laughs> yes, will be was. very missed. Yeah, he will be missed. So, uh, yeah, check that out again on social if you can. Even a little can go a long way. All right. Rest in peace, Jason Feller. Um, we'll be back on Thursday with a, another edition of the Around the NFL podcast, previewing all of the week five action. Also, Thursday night, we'll have a recap 
of the Thursday night game we just previewed. And then, of course, uh, we'll also be uh, getting ready to roll out our latest NFL Network program on Saturday, uh, which is a preview of the week to come as well. So make sure you check in on all that. And, uh, Claybon, thank you again. Thank you, guys. You are the man. Thank you. Always, uh, always get it done, as did Seth Payne. So until Thursday, thanks for listening. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late for the important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I think my battery's dead. With free battery testing and charging, we can help you get back on the road. Get in zone, so what if I need a new one? We have the right Duralast battery for you, only at AutoZone. Get in zone, and what about my old battery? We can recycle it right here at America's number one battery destination. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply.